Hey everyone, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Parrott. We are excited to kick off Season 6 of this podcast, Episode 301 today, uh, with Tim Challies as my guest. We'll get to that conversation in just a minute. Uh, If you listened to the update last week, you know that the theme of this season is post-pandemic productivity helping you re-enter life and ministry. Uh, We hope that this series of episodes will help you as you hope to re-engage with uh, normal life. Uh, As we continue to say, we have no idea what normal is going to look like at this point. And obviously none of the guests coming on this podcast uh, claim to to know the future. Um, I, as this host, do not claim to know the future. But uh, we're trying to think about uh, what what life could look like as we re-enter uh, ministry. And as you'll hear today, uh, I reference an article that uh, Tim Challies wrote as we uh, can kind of think about reevaluating our lives, um, just thinking of things that we have allowed to come into our busy schedules, uh, maybe uh, re-entering with some discernment uh, to remove some of those things, maybe add some some new things that we didn't currently uh, or didn't have previously in, in our schedules. And so I'll talk with Tim about that. I'll talk with him about just evaluating our personal lives as well as ministry lives. And we'll also get into uh, some discussion at the end on productivity, as Tim has written Numerous blog posts on that. He's also published a book, Do More Better, uh, which we'll we'll discuss. Uh, but I pick his brain a little bit about that, and uh, then we'll have some other guests helping us think about productivity in the ensuing episodes. Uh, before I get to uh, today's uh, conversation with Tim, let me just remind you to check out our website, rym.org. We have uh, many resources out there that we hope will help you. Uh, we recently added uh, our Uh, sixth Bible study, Eschatology 101. It is a free uh, 12-week study. Uh, We know some of you uh, do smaller, uh, shorter series of of studies, so you can break that up into smaller series if you want to, but we've got uh, six free studies that are free to download, so be sure uh, to check that out. Uh, Now here's my conversation with Tim. Hope you enjoy it. Tim, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I believe, as I was thinking about this today, that this is your third time on the podcast. As I was thinking back over um, the seasons, I think the first time you came on, we discussed Stranger Things, and I think one of the articles that you wrote, and then I had you and Josh Byers on to talk about visual theology. Um, right. So you're, you're actually helping us kick off uh, season six of this podcast. So thanks for making the time today. Sure thing, yeah. It's it's one thing to be invited. It's another thing to be invited back and back again. So it's an honor. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Um, for those who don't know, Tim blogs at challies.com, and he has authored numerous books. Uh, most recently, Tim, you released Epic during this entire COVID-19 crisis. I think it came out right around the time that uh, some of this ins- insanity was, was going on. Um, yeah. So I thought, why don't you just take a minute to tell us a little bit about this resource? Because it's it's a book, but it's also a documentary of sorts. Isn't that correct? Sure. Yeah. So Epic was a journey around the world that uh, became a book and a documentary series, video documentary series. And the premise of the whole project was to travel the world looking for historical objects through which I could tell the story of the Christian faith. So traveled far and wide looking for interesting bits of history and then tried to tell the story of the church through those pieces of history. So yeah, I think it came together well and 
in a bit of irony, came out at a time when everybody was shut at home and could only dream of traveling. Hmm. Yeah, and so people, I mean, they can check that out on Amazon, but as you said, there's a DVD component of this. Is it 10 episodes? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, 10 episodes. And so the book goes through church history chronologically. The DVD series goes through geographically. So each trip takes me to a different part of the world. So they, they you don't need both of them. You can do one or the other, but they do complement one another nicely and kind of tell the same sort of story, but to, to two very different ways. Yeah, and really, and really, if we just think about this in God's providence with so many of us, you know, shut up at home right now and, and locked indoors and streaming and binge watching and all this stuff. I mean, this could be a, a very interesting way to spend time as a family, uh, to, to stream some of these episodes and, and all that. So, yeah. um, that's, yeah, good. I've been hearing from some families that are doing that and enjoying seeing the glimpses of the world. Uh, when again, they perhaps might like to right now, lots of people had canceled vacations, especially as summer's coming or summer's here, depending where you live. And, yeah, so I think it's uh, it, it it was interesting timing for sure. Yeah, and just out of curiosity, before we leave this, how long did this take to put together? I mean, that's a lot of travel, and then obviously riding on top of it. But um, you know, all the trips you were uh-huh. taking and traveling around. Yeah, I think it was about eighteen months from the first trip to the last trip, pretty much, and then another six months or so, even a little bit longer to put it all together. So, yeah, it was a it was a long project. It took a long time to to come all the way together. <laughs> Yeah, well, thanks for all your your work in that. I know that's going to bless a lot. And so the title is Epic. And and what is the what's the subtitle there? An around the world journey through Christian history, I believe. Okay, and people can check that out on Amazon or other places. Uh, Well, Tim, as I said, we're kicking off our sixth season of this podcast, and we've entitled this season Post-Pandemic Productivity, Helping Others Re-Enter Life and Ministry. And so we're going to be looking at work and rest. We're going to be looking at what it means to be productive. In short, really just what does it mean to steward the lives God has given us? And so I reached out to you uh, because you've written a lot on productivity, not only on your blog, you also published a book entitled Do More Better, which we'll discuss uh, in in just a little bit. Um, But but you posted a recent blog entitled, It's Not Often in Life You Get a Do-Over, So Take the Do-Over. And so I thought that'd be a good place for us to begin. So would you just take a minute to kind of explain the, the essence of the article, what all you were trying to communicate there? Yeah, so I wrote the article April 22nd, which was in the earlier days of the lockdown. And by that time, most of the world had sort of been confined to their houses. Um, Of course, by the time we're recording this, more people have been um, deconfined, whatever the opposite (laughs) is. Uh, The lockdowns are ending and people are getting back out. Um, But at that time, I was reflecting on um, just... There, there was a sense in which it was a bit of a relief to have a lot of things taken away in life. Um, obviously not jobs or health or any of those things. But I think as we were confined in our houses, it, it made us face just how busy many of our lives were. But suddenly in a moment, our school commitments, our church commitments, our business commitments, our travel, our, all this stuff was taken away. And uh, it made me realize that once the lockdowns end and we begin to get back into life again, Um, we're going to have to make decisions about if and when we start up all those things again. So families will have to decide, do we want to uh, send our kids back to these lessons? Do we want them to take up this sport? Churches will need to decide, 
do we want to introduce a full flight of programs again? Or are we going to focus just on Sunday mornings for now? And so it gives us this opportunity to think about what do we want to add back into our lives and hence the the opportunity for a kind of do-over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and no, I was sharing a little bit pre-recording how I sat down with my wife, Ashley, and we were discussing just kind of from this article, um, you know, there's so much of uh, just reflecting upon this time. Okay, what is the Lord trying to teach us here and not wanting to waste this time? And so I think it's a helpful article uh, that just emphasizes one of the ways in which we can be wise about this season, uh, this difficult providence that we're in, and uh, as we begin to think about, you know, re-entering life. And and so, Tim, you know, as I'm reflecting on my own life and, and family and what that could look like, how has this idea of a do-over impacted your your own family? If you don't mind sharing maybe some of those things that you've modified or, or you plan to modify when life gets back to, you know, quote-unquote normal. Yeah, so we're at a bit of an interesting stage in life right now where one son is already at college, or he should be at college anyways. He's home now for now. Um, But our second middle child, she's going to college in the fall as well. And then our youngest child is going from primary school to secondary school to high school in the fall. And so we're at a big transition time anyway. So uh, we had actually removed a fair bit from life or um, we're, we're just sort of in this cleanup stage anyways, or this um, approaching the next phase. So um, I, I think the biggest difference in our lives has been the lack of church commitment over the last little while. And we're typically pretty much all in with church and church activities, but having had those pulled back, I mean, I miss Sunday morning services an mm-hmm. awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um the rest of the church activities, I just can't deny, I miss to a lesser degree. And <laughs> that's a, that's um, a nice know, way live, to put it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we live at a bit of a distance from the church. It's 25 minute drive on a good day. It could be 45 or even worse on heavy traffic day. And so it's a big commitment to drive in two, three, four times a week, whatever. And um, yeah, I just think for us, we're, we're going to have to take a good look at um, what does it mean to be faithful members of the church? Does it mean we need to participate in everything? Does it mean we need to be going back and forth? Or are there things we ought to be doing locally? Are there ways we could minister or serve um, closer to home or in our home or in our neighborhood um, that maybe church has actually been, been keeping us from? So I think maybe that's the best example of how as a family we're dealing with it right now. And then personally, in my own life, I've been thinking a lot about the amount I travel, the conferences I go to and all of that, and whether I'm eager to go right back to the the really significant amount of activity I had that was canceled. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're really getting at just an important um, aspect of this, this difficulty here, that there's so much in our lives that, that are really good things, even ministry related things that just start to get into our calendars one by one. And all of a sudden life just gets incredibly busy. Um, Mm -hmm. And I actually, I stumbled across a uh, quote from Corey Timboon and she wrote, uh, if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And so it's hard for us. I think that's, it's getting at this kind of truth that it's hard for us to say no so often that people can struggle to say no to some, some things, especially when they're, good things. And so could you share uh, some wisdom that often guides you in saying, you know, yes to some things and and no to other things? What's some wisdom that you've learned through the years? Yeah. And I don't know that I've been exemplary here. I think I've um, just as one of my 
my tendencies towards sin would be that sin category we call fear of man, hmm. which is wanting to be loved or wanting to be respected and therefore being too willing to do what other people ask me to do, even if it ends up distracting me from better things or more important things. So for me, um, making priorities and sticking to those priorities is actually quite difficult just because of that that tendency towards sin. So um, I've had to just really, really reflect on that in um, yeah in, in my own life and and in this situation. Sorry, I don't remember exactly what you asked. Though. No, just right. the the wisdom on on saying yes to some things and oh, no right. to others. Yeah. And so you're I mean bringing up such a common yeah. fear of man. We want to say yes uh, because we're afraid mm-hmm. you know to displease yeah. others. Yeah, so there's that, and then um, I think there's a, a good principle in the uh, the book Essentialism by Greg McEwen, and you know, if you read a book and you get one or two good takeaways from the book, it's usually well worth it. It's uh, that's that's a good effort, and um, he in his book has this uh, what he calls the the slow yes and the quick no. Hmm which is when somebody asks you to do something, and this is true whether it's in a family context, obviously not if it's um, somebody who has authority over you, like a kid, (laughs) um, parent to a kid, but just, you know, if somebody asks you to do something, take on a responsibility in church and in business, et cetera, you want to say a quick no, which is to say generally you ought to say no. Um, So you don't just add stuff. You should say yes only slowly, which, you know, it's a good way of just saying, I need to be thoughtful with everything I commit to and make sure that it's something I can do well, something I believe I've been called to, I've been, uh, I can do with skill and is within, hopefully you've got some sense of what God's called you to in life. You've got some sense of vision or mission that, that, that allows you to see the big picture of your life and know what fits that and what does not. Yeah, I think that that's some good advice. Just the, the slow yes, for sure, especially, you know, as I'm thinking about a, being a father and <laughs> just getting peppered with questions constantly, um, it, it's it's very easy just to, to kind of, yes, okay, yes, let's do that. Just let's let's drop this conversation. And so it's it's helpful just to pause, say, let me, let me have a minute to think about this before we commit, especially on some of these decisions that are going to start taking up significant chunks of our, our calendar. Um, well, Tim, just shifting to ministry a bit and thinking about this kind of do-over uh, mindset, how, how has this impacted your role as an elder at your, your church, Grace Fellowship Church? Yeah. And, and you talking about, you know, some of the programs even early on um, that, you know, haven't missed those as much as, you know, Sunday morning corporate, corporate worship. But um, have you applied some of this logic to your role there as an elder? So at this point, we still have not been given any go-aheads for uh, reconvening. The maximum group size in Ontario right now is five people. So uh, we're still very much just in the what are we going to do phase, not in the uh, it's time to take action phase. So we're still thinking this through. Um, And we do know that when we're given the nod, we're only going to do Sunday mornings, at least initially. So Mm -hmm. we've got a lot of time still to think this through. And um, but I do think for us as elders, this has given us an opportunity and we'll take the opportunity to just rethink every single thing. We, we don't want to put anything back on the on the docket until we've really thought and prayed about it and fit it into the bigger framework of uh, what we want to be as a church, how we think we can best serve. And I've been thinking this is apart from the elders in the church, but I've been thinking about this phrase framework of faithfulness. And I, I, I use that to describe, I think, most churches put in place a framework that 
according to that church, describes what it means to be a good Christian. And they expect you to pretty much hold to that framework. And so some churches, just like Sunday morning and small group, if you do those two things, you're you're fully all in. We love you. You're good. Hmm. For others, they would have that plus a men's group. And then maybe plus you take your kids to youth group or something. And so now there's four things over the course of the week. If you want to really feel like you fit in at the church and like you're a good member of the church, you need to do all four of those things. And I, I just been thinking about that as a lot. And what is the expectation our church places on members, even if it's not formalized, just there are some people who don't want to do all that stuff or just feel they can't do. do can they still be regarded as good, God honoring, fully formed members of the church who are growing in grace and all those good things? Or is this kind of messaging, unless you do all of it, you can't really be a good member. So I just want to think about that. And how does our church message all these other all these other ministries and opportunities to uh, get together with people and grow and all of that. Yeah. I like that framework of, of faithfulness um, because we do, I mean, th- this can be kind of on a, you know, church leadership level, but this can also be more uh, on an individual family unit level of, okay, what, what all do we want to be involved in and what makes us a faithful church attender? I mean, I'm thinking of the, the church I'm a part of. There's so many good ministries that are, that are happening, and you can feel guilty sometimes for not being a part of, of this ministry, but at the same time, we, we're not omnipresent. We cannot be everywhere all the time, and so uh, right. thinking through that framework of faithfulness is helpful. Good, yeah, and I think something that pastors or ministry leaders can kind of slip into is thinking that, okay, we have a Wednesday evening prayer meeting so that the church can come together and pray about the the concerns of the church, which is wonderful, of course. But I wonder if there's this sort of parenthetical thing going on there where we are thinking, unless we have this meeting, people will not pray for the church. Hmm. Or, you know, we have a Sunday evening service, and I love our Sunday evening services. I love the fact that we have a Sunday evening service Hmm. as well. But part of our messaging about that Sunday evening service is this allows you to begin and end your day with the Lord. And it then, in a sense, because it begins and ends the day, it sort of sets aside the whole day. If you go to morning and evening service, you're not going to work Sunday afternoons. You're not going to get a part-time job on Sunday afternoon. So now the whole day is dedicated to the Lord, which is which is wonderful. But I wonder if in the messaging, what we're actually saying is, unless we give you an evening service, you're not going to take Sunday seriously. You'll go to church in the morning and then just get a part-time job in the afternoon or something. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I'm doing a lot of thought uh, in these sorts of realms, how how can we as churches be sure we're really serving our people well, but not providing this extra biblical framework of faithfulness? It's not faithfulness to God, but faithful to the church. Um, and so we, perhaps if that is our messaging, to be a good church member, you need to do all of this stuff. We've just fallen far into legalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good word. And, and I'd love to talk more about just kind of the, the church leadership aspect of this. And I, I know, obviously, as an elder, <laughs> you cannot share everything that happens in those mm-hmm. those meetings, but j- just the decision-making process and how you all are thinking through this. Because I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, a very recent article you wrote, So Very Weak, Yet So Very Proud. Again, another excellent article that just, uh, you know, illustrates the, the fact that we know so little about this pandemic. And this really, as we, uh, if we're going to waste this season. It would be wasted if we don't come out of this more humbled. I think that's kind of how how you put it. And so while trying to remain humble that we know so little 
about this uh, pandemic yet trying to lead the church in certain ways. What are some ways in which the, the church leaders have tried to make uh, decisions at, you know, at, at Grace Fellowship Church, uh, just some ways in which y'all have kind of processed uh, this? Yeah. I think one the, the one of the very first thoughts we had was we just need to acknowledge God's sovereignty in this. And mm-hmm. in that way, we had to acknowledge that whatever this thing is, whatever the facts of it are, um, th- the reality is that God's behind it, where we have a high view of God's sovereignty. So this hasn't happened apart from his will. This is his will. It's God's mysterious will that something he commands, which is Christians coming together to meet on a weekly basis, that cannot happen for a time. That's a weird providence. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have to see it as coming from his hand. And so in that way, we were willing to do nothing. We were willing to not even do like a Sunday morning recorded or live streamed service. Um, so we kind of had to, to, to weigh that. Is that something we could do, should do, must not do? And, um, you know, we came out on, I don't think we need to do it, but we also think it would serve our people well. Um, and really, if we don't put something else, people watch, if we don't put something out on Sunday morning, people watch something else anyway. Mm-hmm. So why don't we just kind of continue doing something? Um, and so, so that was our first decision is to do something, but not to feel like we need to. Um, and then our next decision was to do that badly. Um, that sounds weird, (laughs) but we didn't want to make it really, really good. We didn't want to make it, we didn't want to do too much. And so we started calling it a chapel service rather than a church service, Mm. um, because we wanted to distinguish it. This is not the Sunday morning service of the church because we can't gather. Mm. So this is one guy in his living room recording a prayer and then another guy in his living room recording songs. And then going back to the guy in his living room is recording a sermon. That's not church because there's no gathering. And so we'll call it a chapel service. This is to say, this is something <laughs> different. This is something else. And now as we're, we've just been doing it like that. Now, as we look toward the future, um, I think what we've really been trying to do is call our people to love one another. We know that there's lots of opinions, lots of different interpretations of the facts. Um, there's yeah, just all sorts of different perspectives on what's going on, who's at fault, all of this. We want to bring our people back together, loving one another, not bickering, not battling over opinions, over um, different perspectives on it. So just been calling on people to love one another and um, hopeful that uh, people would be really willing to let go of any freedoms they feel, let go of any um, strong convictions they feel about this thing and just be eager to serve one another. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's some some helpful wisdom. And before we leave this, I mean, since this is entitled the local youth worker, I'm wondering if there's been any discussion on youth ministry and what that could possibly look like as, you know, we reenter again, you know, if, if, and when that, that does happen. Um, but, but any thoughts on, on kind of youth ministry and how that's changed and, uh, any discussion there? Yeah, we, we, I guess our youth has continued to some degree with some, uh, zoom calls on Friday nights or something. So they're still, getting together on zoom and, and doing something, but no, we haven't really, we we wouldn't introduce that without introducing the rest, at least some other programs because our youth happens alongside other things. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, we haven't really singled that one out yet. And to be honest, we're coming up on summertime here. We're not really expecting, well, we're not expecting anything to start up again until the fall anyway. So our youth program always ends for the summer anyways. Mm -hmm. So we're probably looking at September, October is when we really have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And uh, by then we've been very committed to following the guidance of our provincial government. So 
you know, we have very local governments. We have a provincial American equivalent would be state government and then our federal government. Um, we've just been very closely following the provincial government and uh, essentially trying to mimic the guidelines they have. And um, they're the ones who will say when churches can meet and bigger groups can meet and so on. So um, once they bring out guidance that perhaps is sufficient for schools, they say this is how we want schools to meet. We'll take that guidance and apply it to our youth group, I would think. Yeah, and, and I should have said from the outset, from those who don't know, you're in Ontario, isn't that correct? Ontario, Canada, you got it, yeah. Okay, gotcha. Um, well, look, applying this do-over mentality to to the broader church before we leave kind of the discussion of this article and get a little bit more into productivity, um, what's some counsel that you would give to Christians and, and just churches about uh, the priorities that you hope to see in place? We know that every church has its own context and um, but what are some of those important points of emphasis that you'd like to see in, in congregations and in the, you know, reformed tradition at least? Yeah. I mean, I would think that this is a good opportunity to pull your people, perhaps not formally, but just kind of find out what are people missing and what are they not missing? If nobody's missing the men's meetings, then don't start the men's meetings up again or mm -hmm. radically transform them before you start them up again. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of things people aren't missing very much. Churches have been very, very busy cranking out programs, trying to keep up with the other churches, all that stuff. And uh, of course, lots of ministries start for good reasons, but then it's really hard to shut them down or to say this no longer suits our ministry or suits our our goal in the in our community. So, um, I, I think just having the churches thoughtfully, prayerfully consider each and every ministry before just going right back to the way things were. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it could be really, really helpful in the life of, of most churches. And I also think I'm hoping this whole situation just sobers up the church a little bit. I, I hope it kind of just changes our grounding or something like that a little bit, where maybe we realize that in some ways we were just kind of fooling around with church. We weren't mm -hmm. being as serious as we ought to be, or we um, yeah, I, I just think there's a lot of ways in which the evangelical church was, was big and silly. So it was silly in that it was just doing a lot of things that aren't necessary, aren't really equipping people to live in this world, but also just big. I mean, you think about these churches that spent millions of dollars on sound equipment and it's just been mm -hmm. sitting there. And in fact, the smallest churches with the least stuff are the ones that are in the best position coming out of this thing. Mm -hmm. Churches of under 50 people may never have had to stop meeting all along. Churches of 5,000 people are, it might be a very, very long time before they can do much of anything. So, um, yeah, I just, I just hope this kind of causes the evangelical church in North America, especially just to, just to think, just to consider what's really necessary. What, how can we best really carry out the Lord's purposes, which isn't to entertain people, which isn't to have fun as a church. It isn't even just to be fully together as a community all the time. It's to serve, to serve God's people and to serve the world around us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And along those lines, really kind of shifting us to productivity a little bit, because really this season, what we're trying to reflect upon, okay, what is life going to look like from just a ministry standpoint, from a personal standpoint, from, you know, a family standpoint, it just, just reflecting on um, all of this. And so I'm assuming as we come out of this, again, Lord willing, whenever that may be, I'm assuming that many people are going to just dive headfirst back into busyness, into uh, you know, doing a bunch of stuff. And so I want us to think a little bit about productivity. And I thought, you know, you might could help define that for us a little bit before we enter into this discussion. 
Yeah, so I would say productivity has to be looked at biblically. And so there's lots of definitions of productivity out there, but few of them really depend upon a biblical ethos or a, a biblical understanding of the world. So if we want to talk about being Christians who are productive, then what we're doing is faithfully stewarding our gifts, talents, time, energy, and enthusiasm for the good of others and the glory of God, which is to say we're just taking everything God's given us and we're, we're doing our best to understand what God has given us. And then we're just directing that at these two great goals of doing good to other people, knowing that that in turn brings glory to God. Hmm, that's helpful. And it's helpful, obviously, not to just root it in Scripture because that's where it belongs. But I think there are so many that hear the word productivity and think uh, kind of works righteousness, maybe kind of pushing back on even using that that word. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, I was going to lead us somewhere else, but, but did you receive any pushback on that as you're, as you're you know, talking about productivity, as you release a book on productivity? What were some of the negative comments that um, maybe from Christians not understanding this kind of biblical understanding of productivity? Yeah, I don't know that I did get a lot of negative feedback. I think Christians had, like me, had gone to the secular literature and really read in it, uh, but found it dissatisfying. We found things that would maybe get us part of the way there, but it would never fill in the big gaps of why. Why does this matter? Um, If you read your, your mainstream productivity literature, it's really about figure out what you define as successful and then pursue that. So if you want to be wealthy, then you define success as wealth. If you want to be happy, you define success as happiness, all of that. And then you're productive toward this self-defined goal. But if we look to scripture, it doesn't matter what I think is a successful life. It doesn't matter what makes me happy. I'm not here for my own joy, my own happiness. I'm here to, to serve God by serving his people. And so now I've got a much higher command. I've got a much higher purpose And uh, now I can steer my life towards something that really, really matters, doing good for other people, which in turn brings glory to God. Hmm. Yeah. And so in your book, Do More Better, uh, which that's a great title, by the way. Um, (laughs) I like that. Um, And and I've got to say, just for those listening, uh, probably, in my opinion, the, the best book on productivity in the sense that it's very concise and easy to follow. Some of the productivity books that I've read can be fairly cumbersome and difficult to implement. And so I just found it a very helpful uh, book, but in Do More Better, you list 20 tips at the back of, of the book. And, and the first tip is to be curious. And basically you say, and being curious is, you know, finding those who are uh, somewhat successful or um, have uh, have some expertise in, in productivity. And I know you might not see yourself as an expert, but to, to find those um, and to ask questions about what's been helpful and what hasn't been helpful. And so along those lines, what are three practices that have been most helpful for you in the area of productivity? Yeah. Do you mean just practical tips or just kind of the back of the book type tips? Yeah, no, practical tips for you. Um, that, that just kind yeah. of your everyday maybe rhythms and uh, patterns yeah. in life that have been helpful. Sure. So before we get there, let me just say, I think one of the the faults with our, our trying to become more productive is going to the tips without digging down deep and, and fixing the foundation of our productivity. Mm-hmm. And that's something I had done many years for many years through many books, etc. And 
the, the transformation came when I really dug down to the depths. I really built a foundation. And that's why my, the beginning of my book is this productivity catechism. That's just question and answer of what is productivity and how can we be productive and why some of the territory you and I have already covered. But um, before getting to tips, I think you've got to go deep and just build that. You've got to do this audit of your life and say, what is my life made up of? And once you know what your life is made up of, once you know what God expects of you, what God has given to you, now you're in this place where you can hopefully do more than just, you, you can take tips now mm -hmm. and really apply them towards something and as part of a bigger system. So yeah, tips would be, be curious. I think there's a lot of joy and curiosity. I think what I said earlier about saying quick no's and slow yeses, understanding it's not always possible, but just in general, be very, very careful when you add something to your life, when you add a big commitment to your life. Those things add up over time, and it's always far easier to add something than take something away. It's easy to start a ministry. It's hard to release a ministry, um, for example. So mm -hmm. careful with, with that. Um, yeah, and I would think just the, the value of a daily routine is so important to start your day or start your work day, whatever it is. Um, the same way day after day, whenever possible. So to start with a little routine that allows you to consider what you could do that day, to pick the things you intend to do that day, and then to, uh, to actually know what your day will be made up of in so much as we can ever plan these things. And, you know, if ever there's been a time in history, and at least in modern history, where we just had to kind of grapple with this truth that uh, man proposes, but God disposes or... Um, you know, um, if the Lord wills, we will go here or we will do this and that. I mean, this is it, right? We all had a lot of plans for this stretch of time between March and June. And uh, most of us have seen our many of our plans mm -hmm. fall apart. And so it's, it's a good reminder that God is the one who's in charge of these things. And we can make our best plans, uh, but they may fall apart, which is humbling and good, I think, for us to realize that. Absolutely. Yes. Humbling and good for sure. Um, and, and so as we're along these lines talking about productivity and just the importance there, as you talked about building a good foundation before you just rush in into tips, I know in these discussions, and as you just said, that the importance of routine, I know routine and boundaries, uh, that can sound like, you know, bad words to some people. And some people, they hear productivity and they just kind of roll their eyes and think, well, that's just not me. That's not my gift. And so maybe some advice to those people who feel just helpless in this pursuit of productivity, who even hear, yes, okay, my, my life does not belong to me and I, I want to steward it in a way that that's faithful. But I just feel helpless to begin. What, what, what's some advice and counsel you'd give to those? Yeah, so I think I would say productivity is not about making yourself feel fulfilled or anything like that. It's about doing good to others and bringing glory to God. So um, in that sense, productivity is just that universal calling. It goes out especially, of course, to Christians. So if productivity is an unhelpful word, Find another word, but just something that allows you to grapple with what God has called you to and how you're going to confidently fulfill that call. You, you read these parables about uh, the, the master distributing talents to his servants and then later demanding an accounting. What have you done with what I gave you? I think we can all look at our lives and say God has given us things. He's given us responsibilities. He's given us spouses. He's given us children. He's given us ministries. He's given us jobs. We, we're responsible to God for faithfully stewarding those things, for doing our absolute best 
with them. And that's all that productivity is, in my view, is just being a faithful steward of what God has given. And then I think a productivity system then is just a a set of structures or routines that allow you to do that well. And those can vary dramatically from person to person, culture to culture, whatever. Um, but find one that works for you. There's no biblical guidance for how to how to set up your day or how to you know, what, what kind of checklist system to use or whatever. But find something that works for you. You can be very pragmatic about it, something that serves you and allows you to have confidence that you are doing what God has called you to do. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's good, and I, and I know kind of the other side of this coin maybe is what we're talking about. Productivity is also rest. We know that work and, and rest go together. As we you know think about the the fourth commandment, our our work you know fuels our rest. Our rest fuels our work, vice versa. Um, maybe just talk to us a little bit about rest and and maybe some some ways in which. Uh, you've guarded rest, you've, you know, implemented certain aspects of your weekly calendar that have kind of fed your rest and guarded, you know, days off and, and things like that. Maybe just practically what have been some things that have been helpful for you in, in resting well? Yeah, I, I grew up in the Dutch Reformed tradition, which placed a huge, huge emphasis on a day of rest. And when I wasn't with Dutch Reformed people, I was with Presbyterian people, so it was pretty much the same thing. And so I grew up with that in my background, later uh, became Baptistic. And that's one of the things I grappled with was the loss of that kind of Sabbath view. And I think I, I, I became sloppy there for a time and then later have realized whether you have a, a real theology of Sabbath or not, and there is good in rest, and God has not called us to work all the time. None of us can can work all the time. And if God himself took a day of rest after six days of, of labor and creating the world, then I probably ought to as well. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a lot of wisdom in just that universal human pattern, if you will, that God seems to have established of uh, hard work followed by hard rest, if you will. And so yeah, I've had to implement that in my own life. Um, and it, I think all of us realize that unless your job is is such that it, your job is closed on Sunday or whatever, but for most of us, those of us in knowledge work, other lines of work, everything's infringing on that day of rest. Things are always battling against it. There's always a good excuse to work instead of rest and to uh, same with vacations and everything else. So um, our technology certainly don't don't help us there. They're they're constantly ringing and buzzing whether it's a day off or not. So I think just being very um, prayerfully arriving at convictions about the need for rest, and then uh, building patterns that will protect it. Because if you don't carefully protect it, it will be the first thing to go. Mm, yeah, that's. A good word. It, it is. I mean, the older I've gotten, the more I've realized how intentional we have to be about about our rest. That it doesn't just you know, accidentally happen. <laughs> We've got to yes. to plan for it and to guard uh, against all of these distractions that 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 come into our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, Tim, we're, we're going to be closing this out, but but I'd love to to end with some parting wisdom on maybe just the reentry into this post pandemic. And I know we're, we're heeding, you know, your own advice from the article of this pandemic has humbled us that we there's so much we don't know, and you know, as we reenter, it's going to be gradual. It's going to look different. It might permanently look different from life pre uh, pandemic. But but what's some some wisdom you would like to just leave us with uh, as we think about reentering? Um, after this pandemic? Yeah, so I know some people have been without work and are eager to re-enter work and all that. So I'm not, you know, obviously you want to get your work back as quick as you can. 
Um, but I think I'm talking about some of those other things. So lessons and commitments outside the home mm -hmm. and hobbies and just all these other things that can quickly fill up our time and leave us so busy. I think a lot of us are busy with work, but we kind of expect there will be a 40 to 50 hour load on our lives through work. Uh, it's all those other things that fill up our evenings, that fill up our weekends. And I just think with those things, when you have the opportunity to add them back, just think and pray about, do we want to add those back? What are those adding to our life? Um, why did we start that? Why should we continue that? I think in, in life, ministry, business, a lot of things. I think there will just be a, a great opportunity now before we just go back to the way it was to evaluate what maybe has have we not missed or what has been nice to rest from in this time and um, why would we then go rushing back to it? Mm -hmm. Yes, I'm I'm hoping that, you know, as, as sobering as this entire pandemic has been, what we've also, I think most have shared some of the sweet moments that we've had. And so, you know, this might just be wishful thinking, but I'm, but I'm hoping that, you know, churches and schools and, and those individuals who are in leadership positions in churches and schools um, who can often create a lot of busyness might even have some structures in place to guard some of the, the sweet kind of family moments that have, have occurred. I hope at least we're all going to be uh, spending some time praying, reflecting on this as we, Lord willing, re-enter before uh, too long. But uh, Tim, I, I appreciate you sharing just some of your own experience through all of this and how you're processing it by God's grace. And I uh, just appreciate you giving time to us today. Sure, my pleasure. All right, have a good day, Tim. Thank you. Come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without pay.